Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City. Uh, Not for much longer, though, as I am very, very excited to get to Vegas for the summer, leaving soon. Uh, Really can't wait. Um, Today we're going to be discussing another hand from last year's final table of the main event. Um, We're also going to be talking a little bit about my ongoing saga with Bally's, give an update on my Major League Baseball season win total bet that involves David Tuckman and in a very real way, Norman Chad. And we're also going to talk about planning for the summer. So uh, I'm going to be giving some tips, some, I don't know if you can call them pearls of wisdom, but Let's just say advice from someone who's been there many times. Uh, This will be my 12th summer in Las Vegas, and I really can't wait to get back. Uh, But before we do anything, I want to say thank you guys for all the love on Twitter, at Clayton Comic. Right now, I am currently in an ongoing feud with Bally's Las Vegas over the burglary that I've been talking about for the last few weeks. That occurred back in March of this year. Uh, they accept zero responsibility for what happened to me and basically say it's my fault because I left my door unlocked. Um, as we all know, it's impossible to lock a hotel room door. So I suppose they meant that I left it ajar or somehow propped open or something like that. But I know for a fact that that is not true. And what is true is there are no cameras. Uh, so we can't look at the hallway camera at Bally's Las Vegas and find out what happened during that short period of time that I was outside of my room. So I'm not going to rehash this whole thing again, but I do just want to point out to you guys, in case you're not following me on Twitter, I've decided that the most important thing about this is to get the word out. I know a lot of you guys, especially in the summertime, you travel around with huge amounts of cash. I don't want what happened to me to happen to you. Um, At the end of the day, I lost about $4,800 worth of merchandise, my old laptop, some electronics, some pretty expensive things, a really nice pair of headphones, um, old cell phones, a passport, a winter coat, a backpack. All in all, it totals about 4800 worth of stuff. And I know that's pocket change compared with what some of you guys will be bringing with you this summer. Uh, so I wanted to make sure to get the word out. And I've decided to include a charity component Many of you are familiar with my ongoing relationship with the Charity Series of Poker, which is the organization founded by Matt Stout, a respected player, uh, you know, $10 million in earnings over his career, uh, and someone that really cares about uh, charities that benefit children. So what I've decided to do is I put the whole story on Twitter, and for every retweet it gets, I'm going to give a dollar to 
the CSOP. So it's a win-win. I help get my story out, help poker players that might be planning on staying at Bally's think twice before they go to a hotel where things like this can happen and the hotel doesn't take any responsibility whatsoever. So a cautionary tale, at least. Um, Be sure to go ahead and spend the extra money if you are planning on staying in a hotel and not in an Airbnb or apartment or whatever this summer. I recommend you stay as far away from Bally's as possible. They have no security. They have no cameras. And they don't care if someone takes your stuff. So if you want to help with this, all you have to do is go to twitter.com slash Clayton Comic. Clayton Comic on Twitter. And then retweet my pinned tweet, which is about this topic. Uh, Also, if you want to hurt me, you can do the same thing because it's going to cost me a dollar that I'll have to give to Matt Stout's Charity Foundation. So, as I say, it is a win-win. All right, well, I want to talk about this upcoming World Series of Poker. Um, I know many of you are just as uh, eager to get out there as I am. And for many, many players, uh, the Big 50, the very first event this year, might be the the biggest tournament they've ever played. Um, it's a $500 buy-in. They're expecting 100 billion players or that's just an estimate and the five hundred dollars for your first buy-in is rake free which means 100 percent of that 500 goes directly to the prize pool which is uh how a lot of us think all world series of poker tournaments should be but hey at least this is a step in the right direction so regarding this big 50 and really for all of the uh WSOP events. Actually, let me just go to this tweet that I received from a user called Dango Poker. Uh, it's Daniel uh, Gogwin. I don't know how to pronounce your name, Daniel, but it's D A N G O Poker on Twitter. You guys can follow him. Uh, topic for the podcast I will play the Big 50 as my first ever WSOP event. What can I expect? Not talking play-wise, more atmosphere, delays, and crowds, etc. I've played the Aria Nightly 140 and some Playground Montreal games, but that's as big as I've gone. Yeah, so this tournament is attracting many players, and thank you for your tweet, Daniel. Uh, just like Daniel, that may have never gone to the World Series before, but they have that weekend free. They're going to go and take a shot at this big event and, uh, you know, it should be great value. You're going to get a big stack and the levels are long and all the other things that uh, it seems players want nowadays more than ever. They want more bang for the buck, more time. Uh, don't turn the game into a crapshoot in the first 20 minutes. That's the kind of stuff I hear a lot at the poker table. And there's a lot of merit to that as well. Although I do have to say, I think sometimes we take it too far. And now the tournaments last forever. <laughs> I hate when top prize is $2,000 and it's going to take me six days to get there. Uh, that's another story. Let me answer your question, Daniel. Um, first of all, congrats on getting to the point where you feel like you're ready to play in a World Series event. Obviously, you're not looking for strategy advice here. Um, so let me give you some kind of general advice for your first ever WSOP event. All right, so the first thing I would say is you want to buy your seat. If you haven't done so already, you can actually do it online right now. 
or I guess what you can do right now is what they call pre-registration. Uh, it's a little bit of legwork, but it might be worth it to do that. If you don't want to do the pre-registration thing and pay the fees, then you want to go uh, late at night. Tournament registration at the WSOP is open 24 hours. So I recommend you go late at night, two nights before you want to play, and avoid the huge lines that they're going to have on the morning of the tournament. Uh, there is no way anybody can get in line. I think the first flight is at 10 a.m. If you got in line at 9 a.m. and realize you're not going to get your seat until 1130, there's no way you can play your best on that kind of mega tilt from standing in line with a bunch of your fellow tourists who didn't realize it would take so long. So save yourself the heartache and get there the night before. Pay your 500 bucks and get your seat assignment. So that's tip number one. Register during off hours. All right, tip number two. Have fun. I can't believe I need to say this, but many poker players today forget to have fun. I know you want to win $5 million or whatever. Uh, I know you want to prove to the world that you're the best who ever lived. But let's also remember, it's a game. And... With any luck, you're going to be sitting with the same group of people for the next 10 or 12 hours. So why not make the best of it? Get to know your fellow players. Say hello. Don't try to hide the fact that you don't have a ton of experience because it really doesn't matter, Daniel. I'm assuming that you know how to play poker. Uh, you've played at Aria. You've played in Montreal. Uh, maybe you're not the best in the world, but guess what? Almost none of us are. Only one person is the best in the world, and we don't even know who that is. I know who it isn't. It's not me, and I've done okay. So don't feel like you have to sit there with your hood and your sunglasses and try to intimidate everybody because you're just going to look like the jerk at the table. This tournament's going to have a different kind of vibe. Everyone's going to be excited for the series. No one's going to be stuck that badly at that point. And so people are probably generally going to be in a jovial mood. And find common ground. Oh, you're from Canada? I'm from Canada too. Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, you know, who do you like in the game tonight? This kind of stuff is really great to kind of get uh, the conversation started and to kind of you know, loosen up your opponents a little bit. And I'm not saying that's necessarily going to help you win anything, but it will at least help you have a good time, which is more than what at least half the players will be able to say when all is said and done. So enjoy the experience. That's tip number two. Now, tip number three. Bring snacks and water. So, there might be a 15-minute break or a 20-minute break in between the levels. And particularly with some of these flights for the Big 50 event, that's just not enough time for you to go to the bathroom, stretch your legs, and buy a snack and a drink. So, you want to bring a granola bar, um, you know, you, we all remember Jamie Gold eating the bowl of blueberries at the table. But, you know, fruit is great. Have an apple in your bag, uh, something like that. You can bring a, a small backpack into the Rio, no problem. You can bring your own backpack and you can have your own water. Don't be one of these people that orders uh, a bottle of water every day from the waiter at the, at the Rio. Because, not just because... Uh, it's going to cost you a dollar or two every time you have to tip the guy. But more importantly, think of all that plastic you're wasting over the course of a summer. If you if you stayed all summer and you kept buying 
and we all bought all those plastic bottles. Like, how many bottles are we going to waste? So just bring your own bottle. There are free water coolers positioned all throughout the poker area at the Rio. So just go over there and fill up your bottle. Not a problem. And that's a very important tip and one we should all remember for reasons that are much more important than EV. Okay, so tip number four. Get there early. There's a lot to take in. And I'm not just talking about looking around your table and seeing who your competition for the day is going to be. More importantly, just the whole atmosphere. It is amazing to see the hundreds and hundreds of poker tables and all of the people looking around for their seats and the waitress or waiters walking by with the drinks and uh, the music that's playing. Take it all in. You know, there's only one first time playing in a WSOP event. And, you know, Daniel, you seem excited. I'm excited for you, and I think it's important to be excited. At the same time, you don't want to let that excitement interfere with your ability to play your best. So I think getting there early and taking a look around and seeing what's going on and feeling the vibe is a great way to avoid that trap. Tip number five, do not talk strategy at the table. It's not just a pet peeve of mine. It's a bad thing for the whole experience. Uh, There are other topics of conversation besides poker, uh, and that's what you should be talking about. Anything but poker. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Do you like hockey? Um, What are you guys going to do for dinner? That's all good. Um, Where's the best strip club? Uh, What, (laughs) you know, I don't care what you talk about, really, as long as it's not, well, the reason why I check-raised on the flop was because I thought you probably had top pair. Once you get that started, it kills the vibe for everybody. Um, It reveals to your uh, superior opponents how you play the game and how you approach the game and how you think about the game. And it also causes your inferior opponents to feel intimidated like maybe they're in over their heads. Now, none of this is good for anyone. So whatever you do, do not talk strategy while you're playing. And tip number six. Manage your expectations. Um, I want you to win. I I hope you win the whole thing, Daniel, and and you become a millionaire from it. Um, But let's also be realistic about what we should expect. Uh, There's an 85% chance you're going to lose, assuming you're an average player. That's because tournaments pay 15% of the field at the WSOP. So that means... For every 1,000 people who enter this event, 850 of them will be disappointed. Now, sure, you can buy in again to another flight. I don't know if you're planning to do that. But, you know, just leaving that part out of the equation, there's an 85% chance things won't go your way. So with that in mind, let's not focus on the results. Okay, let's focus on having a good experience, playing well. Maybe trying to remember some hands so that you can discuss with your friends or even uh, with me over Twitter. And coming away from the experience with the maturity and expertise that only real life experience can provide. So that's that would be a good goal to enjoy it and to learn from it. And hey, if you happen to make a few bucks, that's even better. 
Yeah, for me, my focus is trying to stay uh, locked in, playing my best, and also trying to remind myself at all times to remember I have to enjoy this experience. Um, I make a lot of sacrifices in my other career and in my personal life and, and in every other aspect to be there for this. I'm not going to be one of these people that's miserable by the second week. I'm going to enjoy the ride, even if I take 100 bad beats and never win a coin flip and you know just keep losing with my kings against aces every time. Uh, I'm still going to enjoy the experience because I can't control my luck, but I can control my skill and I can control my attitude above all. So that's what I'm spending my brain cells on uh, is just the stuff that I can control. Uh, poker can be frustrating because a lot of it is luck. And since you cannot control your own luck, there's hardly any point in ever even thinking about it. So just keep your head on straight. Have a good time. And uh, definitely let us know how it goes. Okay, I don't know about everybody else that's listening, but I'm rooting for Daniel to do well in the Big 50. Okay, so before we get to the hand of the week, I want to talk about uh, real quick here about the uh, baseball bet. It's getting so much attention. I love that people are on Twitter are interested in this little friendly wager that uh, David Tuckman and I have about this Major League Baseball season. Now, uh, of course, David Tuckman, uh, former guest here on the podcast, he's also the voice of the World Series of Poker live stream on Twitch uh, and Poker Go. So um, you'll be hearing a lot of him this summer as well. Tuck and I are pretty good friends, and he just happened to post one day on Twitter that he was looking for anyone who wanted to take the over on the Orioles. Now, originally he was asking for 59 and a half, but uh, I looked at the current lines in Vegas a couple weeks later and offered him 58 and a half. We negotiated for a while, and that's where the line landed. So I just need the Orioles to win at least 59 games this summer, and I will cash a pretty big ticket against my pal, David Tuckman. At the same time, our beloved friend, Norman Chad, who's also from Maryland, by the way, uh, wanted to get in on the action and made a much, much smaller bet with David. Uh, <laughs> but I'm laughing because uh, there seems to be an indirect proportionality relationship between how big the bet is and how much trash talking is happening. So what that means is uh, he has the smallest bet and he's running his mouth the most. Um, it's hilarious for me because I happen to be on the same side as Norman Chad. We both have the over 58 and a half where Tuckman has the under. So Tuckman's basically put a lot of money into wagering that the Orioles would be terrible this year. And so far, uh, things are pretty even. Um, the Orioles have won, as of this recording, I think they've won 15 games um, and lost 25 yeah, so that's like right on pace for 60 wins. Um, those numbers might be a little off. I could look it up, but I'm too lazy right now. Sorry. And I know most of you don't care about this. So <laughs> at this point, it could go either way. And uh, obviously, time will tell. But about a quarter of the way through the season, they're on pace for 60 wins, which would be just fine by me. Um, I'm not exactly doing the uh, celebration gloating dance that 
my pal Norman Chad is doing, but whatever. Uh, I, I'm more of a pragmatic. Uh, I know anything can happen. It's just like poker in that way. So it'll make the Orioles season a lot more interesting than it otherwise would have been, uh, to say the least. Okay, now let's get to the hand of the week. Um, this is another hand we've been going in chronological order over the last several weeks, covering hands from last year's main event, World Series of Poker main event final table. Um, and I want to continue. We are four-handed, and the blinds are at 600,000 and 1.2 million with a 200 ante, so with four players. Uh, remaining there is 2.6 million in the pot. The way things have been going at the table recently, Tony Miles took the chip lead on the hand that we discussed last week when he flopped a miracle bottom set against the chip leader's bottom two pair. Uh, and they got it. They, they didn't actually end up getting it all in, but they, they basically switched chip stacks and then Tony, who had been in second place, took over the chip lead as Dyer dropped to second in chips. So their stacks are Tony Miles with 179 million and uh, Michael Dyer with 144 million in second place. So the action in this particular hand is just going to be between. John Sin in the big blind and Michael Dyer in the small blind. So under the gun, Tony Miles folds. And then on the button, Nick Mannion, who only has 18 million in his stack. Remember, there's already 2.6 million in the pot. And so Nick Mannion has like an M of seven and about 14 big blinds. So he... Uh, should be opening with a lot of hands, particularly in light of the fact that he is such a distant last place uh, chip stack wise right now. He has 18 million, and the next smallest stack is John Sin in the big blind with 52 million. So we have uh, a pretty large disparity here in these stacks, and I'd like to see uh, Mannion get after it a little bit, especially because he folded a king. I think he had king three offsuit on the button in this hand. So uh, that's not a fold I would have made. I think you can even make a case for shoving this stack. I mean, you're just up against the blinds, and the guy you can hurt is in the big blind. So you might want to get after it a little bit. But Mannion didn't like it, and he folded. And so now we are going to see a small blind versus big blind hand. And so we'll be playing the big blind stack, which is John Sin. Uh, as I just mentioned, uh, he's got 52 million in chips. Uh, he's got about 44 big blinds, and his M is 20. Obviously, Dyer has him covered by a multiple of three. So the action folds to Michael Dyer, holding 8-6 offsuit in the small blind. Now, the way Dyer has been playing in these situations. Now, he's found himself in this situation a few times due to the fact that both Tony Miles and Nick Mannion are playing a very conservative style for the most part. They both seem to be waiting for the perfect spot. 
And so as a result, it's been folded to Michael Dyer in the small blind way more times than we've ever seen in any World Series of Poker final table forehanded. That's because in recent years, uh, the professional players know that they need to get after it more, especially when they have a shorter stack and they're trying to get back into contention. So failing to open a wide range on the button is pretty disastrous when there are so many chips already just up for grabs in the middle. As I mentioned, there's 2.6 million in the middle. So that's well worth fighting for already. Um, Nick Mannion doesn't have to shove with a king three, uh, but I do think he should open, particularly given the stack, dy- the stack dynamics between him and John Sin, uh, who, again, is the only player, really, that his little stack can hurt. Someone told me a long time ago that the GTO bots have basically... Uh, Determine that opening about half of your buttons is about right for a theoretical strategy. Uh, I think Tony Miles has been opening way less than 50% of his buttons. And uh, same can be said for Nick Mannion. Now, in Tony's case, I don't really mind him tightening up his button opening range because simply because he's got the other chip leader Michael Dyer, who's proven himself to be very sticky and very difficult uh, to beat in the big blind every time he has the button. But in the case of Nick Mannion, I, I see no reason to open. You know, Johnson has not been out of line and really can't afford to make a big mistake and put himself in fourth instead of third chip position with four players left in the main event. So, therefore, I'm not a fan of Mannion's fold, but the action is on Michael Dyer holding the 8-6. You can open this for a raise or a limp. I think the only big mistake you can make is folding it. I think when you're blind versus blind and there's all those antis in the middle, uh, you're just getting too good a price, even if you think Sin will often bluff raise you off of your 8-6. You just need to have a limping strategy, uh, and it's okay to include 8-6 in that strategy. Um, If you prefer to take the the lead and go ahead and be aggressive. You can raise to maybe three or three and a half times the big blind and sin will often fold. Um, I don't think he'll fold too much because he obviously has a solid fundamental understanding of the game, but there are plenty of hands that he'll lay down for a nice, healthy opening raise. Um, So I guess it's one of those lousy podcast moments where I have to say, both are fine. <laughs> so Dyer chooses to limp in and Johnson has the Jack 10 offsuit. And now in his shoes, I think you can make a case for raising, but I really like his decision to check. The reason why is because he has a hand that he can play well in position that flops well, meaning you can pretty much tell on the flop whether you have a hand that you'd like to continue playing or wave a white flag so I like his decision to check he can play in position and that's what he does and we see a flop with 3.2 million in the middle so the flop comes down king 10 4 so and it's rainbow so we don't have to worry about anybody having a flush Uh, both players have unsuited hands and now we have a rainbow flop Uh, it comes king 10 4 giving Johnson middle pair and Michael Dyer, a big, fat squadoosh. Uh, 
in these spots, guys, I think it's okay to check and fold. You will sometimes get outplayed, um, but it's so hard to get outplayed when you have eight high. Just go ahead and check fold. I believe Dyer, and I've praised him so much on this podcast, but I think that he took aggressive and attacking lines in so many spots where even I, and I'm I'm certainly a, a more aggressive than average player, uh, I, w- I wouldn't take some of the lines that Dyer took. Um, obviously, many times doing so worked out for him, but... You know, you take a flop like King Ten Four. Uh, you don't have blockers to anything. You also have almost no chance of even picking up a back door on the turn. Uh, I suppose a nine or a seven would give you a gut shot uh, to the bottom end of a straight. I, I don't know what. Uh, so what? A five would give me a. Uh, so there are a few cards that might help my hand. Um, it just doesn't seem like a spot where betting is very profitable. However, Dyer takes one of these aggressive spots that I wouldn't personally recommend, and he fires 1.3 million into the 3.2 million pot. Now, this has been Michael Dyer's MO all along. His bet sizing is always on the small side, usually about one third of the pot on the flop, maybe half the pot on the turn, uh, typically, whether he has it or not. Um, yeah, so I'm not a huge fan of this bet. Almost immediately, as you watch it on Poker Go, almost immediately, Johnson reaches for his chips. Now, sometimes players do this as an intimidation tactic, like to let you know I'm not scared of you and uh, you know, kind of a reverse, reverse tell. Like they they want you to feel like they're they're strong, but they're actually weak. Um, in the case of John Sin, we haven't seen him snatch his chips immediately too too often. And I've been watching and studying this material very very closely. I haven't really seen him do this before. He tends to be a little methodical. Think about his decisions. In this spot, it's only been maybe a second or a second and a half when he's already grabbing for his chips and does make the call rather quickly. Uh, I don't know if Dyer picked up on that timing and thought that there's no way Sin could have a king. It's also pretty unlikely that Sin has a king anyway because with many of his King X hands, he would probably have chosen to put in a raise and end the hand pre-flop knowing that Michael Dyer probably doesn't have much if he's limping in uh, before the flop. But be that as it may, the call was quick and it may or may not have encouraged Michael Dyer to fire again. So the call is made and then we see a turn. The turn comes the ace of clubs and rather quickly, Michael Dyer fires 3.8 million into the 5.8 million pot, which is a very large bet for him. It, it, you know, it's about a two-thirds pot bet. And as I mentioned earlier, I have observed that typically Dyer's turn bet sizes tend to be about half the pot. Uh, so this is a bigger bigger than usual bet for him. He could just be mixing it up 
Um, it could be a sizing tell that he has nothing at all, so he's just trying to get this one over with. Um, I don't know. I'd love to talk to Michael Dyer about his game. As you guys know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the way he played throughout the final table. Uh, so, now in Sin's shoes, the bad news is it's another overcard to your pair, but the good news is you've actually picked up a straight draw uh, with the Jack-10 on the King-10-4 ace board. Now I can use a queen to make a straight. I can also use another 10 to make trips or a jack to make two pair. That would be dicey at best. But with one opponent, bottom two is probably good, even on that scary board. Uh, so Sin thinks about it for a while this time. He takes much longer, but he does eventually make the call here on the turn and now we have a pot just because the pre-flop went call check doesn't mean that there's nothing in the pot for us to to play for because now one barrel on the flop and now another barrel on the turn and now we've got a decent sized pot here 13.5 million to be exact and now the river comes the seven of spades so we have a final board of king, 10, 4, ace, 7, with no flush. And now put yourself, dear listener, in Michael Dyer's shoes. You decided to stab at the flop with nothing at all and got called rather quickly. You put another large bet into the middle on the ace on the turn and your opponent called. How many of us, like, ever fire on this blank river? I mean, the seven of spades completes nothing. Your opponent has called you twice, so it looks like he could easily have a king at least, possibly more that he's slow playing because obviously everyone knows I've been aggressive for three days. Uh, yeah, how many of us keep keep putting the pressure on, keep applying that pressure in this situation how many times have you ever done this where you you tried your little bluff on the flop and then you decided for whatever reason to follow up with another bet on the turn just because you felt like there's no way your opponent has an ace right like yeah he probably doesn't have a king because he didn't raise pre-flop but there's no way the guy checked back an ace after i limped in from the small blind right so then i fired again but he called me again it really feels like Johnson has something like what he has. A piece of this board. And if he has a piece, maybe he just has a four. Or maybe he just has a ten. Is it really wise for me to try to get him to fold it? Whatever that piece is. Should I re really f empty the chamber here and fire another bullet? After this guy has already called me two times. On an increasingly scary board. Um, I don't know. I don't know. How many of us have the uh, intestinal fortitude to fire again and empty the chamber? I'm not sure. I think Sin has shown a lot of strength in this hand. And I may very well just check give up on this river. But my name isn't Michael Dyer. Michael Dyer... Knows he can't win the pot with eight high. And knows that in all likelihood, John Sin doesn't have an ace.
and probably doesn't even have a king. And therefore, if you're Michael Dyer, you're spinning that six-shooter around your thumb, and then you're firing again. (laughs) And when this guy bets the river, he bets big. That's been his pattern throughout the tournament. If you get to the river with Michael Dyer, you better be ready to call a very large bet. In this case, there's $13.5 million in the pot. And Michael Dyer, with eight high, fires out $11.2 million, which I believe is the type of bet. I mean, his betting is consistent with Queen Jack, uh, a random two-pair like King Four. Um, you know, he, he, is, he has been making the types of bets that many of us would make for value given the board textures and everything. Uh, it's a very credible bet whether he has it or not, which is what makes playing against a player who has such strong fundamentals as well as so much what we used to call heart, but just courage to bluff and not being afraid of looking silly on TV. Uh, there's a lot of that at play here when you fire uh, the third barrel this is getting pretty serious, and especially with this sizing, putting in eleven point two million is not a uh, oh I took a shot at the pot. It's he's really trying to win this pot. Uh, it would have been incredible had Johnson been able to find the call with third pair Jack kicker, but it just wasn't meant to be. And Sin, to his credit, considered it for a little while, but eventually let the hand go. And then through sheer brute force, Michael Dyer won another pot at this final table. And in doing so, put himself in striking distance of the chip lead once again. After that disastrous uh, set versus bottom two hand that he played against Tony Miles uh, maybe about half an hour or 40 minutes ago. And that disastrous pot is now a mere memory in the mind of Michael Dyer. And we still have four players left, and I'm going to speed things up a little bit next time. We're going to talk about some three-handed play and then review a couple of hands of heads up right before I head out to fabulous Las Vegas for the new edition of the World Series of Poker, the 50th annual WSOP here in 2019 and we can put 2018's main event to bed at least for now so guys uh you know i've been saying this a lot lately but if you're trying to get ready to go out and play in the big 50 or whatever uh tournament you are targeting for this year's wsop um whether you're going to be at the aria or the win or the venetian or with me most days at the rio uh The best way to prep is through serious study. And we have more material on TournamentPokerEdge.com for you to study and learn from some of the best in the business. Andrew Brokus, Alex Fitzgerald, Colin Moshman, and on and on down the line. Casey Jarzebeck, Daryl Jace, so many amazing coaches. And you get all of the content for as low as $25 a month with your paid membership to tournamentpokeredge.com so for everyone here at TPE I'm Clayton Fletcher I want to thank you all for listening
Fold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Everybody, everybody knows she can't read a mouth. Oh, the 